0: This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 61. Anthony Gailey on Corporate Hypnosis.
1: Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette.
0: Welcome back. It's Jason Lynette here. And first and foremost, thank you all so much for the outpouring of ...feedback that we received last week as we relaunched the WorkSmart Hypnosis website. Not just the content with the outstanding, as always, Melissa Tears, but also from the users, from my students, from anybody involved with this WorkSmart Hypnosis community. And before we actually jump into the content here today with Anthony Gailey, there's a theme that I love. And it's a theme of leveraging success... And we can look at this theme, first of all, from the perspective of our clients. So here's potentially a client coming in, and from their perspective, the reason they're coming in is that they have a problem that they would like to solve. And that's, as I would like to say, is that's what the conscious mind is telling them. Yet in many ways, they are looking for a solution. And this is exactly the reason why I firmly believe that It's within the ethical and professional responsibility of a hypnotist to do more than a single session. It's why I train my students to book a minimum of a series of sessions to really navigate that person throughout the change. Because for me, it's less of the mindset of eliminating the problem, and it's more so the mindset of truly associating them into the solution. To to use a board game metaphor, which of course seems like the most appropriate thing to do here, uh, it's not just about pulling out that one tile, that one peg in the Jenga game. It's also about putting that thing at the top of that tower and making sure everything remains standing. So there's stories that have popped up over the years of, here's a client that's in my office. And we're working together. And along the way, we begin to pivot. And they maybe came in and they were addressing this. Um, well, let's use a simple example from recent days. Here's a woman that was here in the office because she just kind of was stuck in that issue of I'm a smoker and I want to be a non-smoker. Yet as we continued working, it was now let's motivate my health, let's get my exercise up and running. And I think the biggest compliment to be paid of her was to highlight there we were four or five sessions in working on something brand new. And and with a smile, I could just look at her and say, did you realize today we never once talked about cigarettes? And she just kind of paused and went, we didn't It's like, no, that's so far in the past. So it's this mindset of dealing less and less with the problem and dealing more and more with the solution. And there's some thoughts on how we approach rapport as hypnotists that I think we need to address. And perhaps that's a whole nother podcast session coming your way rather soon. Though I love to take that moment of highlighting this concept of leveraging success, where I got my start as a stage hypnotist. Yet, even from the earliest of shows, there I was doing everything I could to get media attention and gather newspaper clippings, TV appearances, like assets. Assets which then allowed me to leverage that success into the next offering. So, down the road, when I began to pull the the business strategy of pivoting and launching instead as a hypnotherapist, seeing clients and working with them for change, I was able to use my history of already being a hypnotist to help launch my business. Here I was already in the news. Here I was already as that person doing these things of a hypnotic nature in the community. And just the difference was now a slightly different title, a slightly different role. So as we look at the interaction within our clients, it's that phrase of, First and foremost, I'd encourage you focus on what's great about them and how do you harness that and how do you put that into use? How do you build resources and skills out of these things rather than being so problem centered, so problem oriented? We are not working on their problem. We are working on their solution. Likewise, on that point, it's that concept of as we grow our businesses each and everything we do becomes something that has the potential to build an asset, and by doing so becomes something that we can use, I mean, seriously, for the rest of our careers. Which brings us full circle to this outstanding conversation you're about to listen to that I had with Anthony Gailey, session number 61 of this podcast series, which, keeping in tone with some previous sessions, Uh, several folks actually reached out to me all around the same time and said, you need to have Anthony on your program. You need to have Anthony on your program. And we connected by way of Facebook messenger, which is of course the language of choice these days. And admittedly, what you're about to listen to is our very first actual conversation, which the great thing about that is I had just a passing knowledge, just a passing experience though you'll hear some incredible stories of someone who admittedly did not have the intention of going out there and being coined as the corporate hypnotist, or even as being coined as the stage hypnotist, yet in many ways fell into that market, discovered that market. And I would point to a little idiosyncrasy that would pop up back in my history. I was going to a liberal arts college and I was interested in management for the arts and the wonders of liberal arts you had to also take the acting class even though you want to be the lighting designer you've got to be also taking the uh, the costume design class so that well-rounded student that person with the knowledge of all aspects of theater was the goal of that specific program which the amazing moment was the acting class where the lighting design students were out-acting the acting majors because the actors were trying way too damn much. And the people who were more interested in learning how to design the schemes of hanging lights and all the moving mechanisms that are behind that really weren't trying to be actors and were just simply in the moment, in the present. Uh, I'll change the name, though I don't imagine... Uh, well, actually, no, I'll just use the name because uh, I, I, I'd, I'd hope that George Clooney one day will listen to this program, though odds are, let's be honest, he probably isn't shopping around for hypnosis podcasts, though it's an actor that I worked with at one point who talked about being around him er- during the early years where he's trying to be big and bold and really fill the stage. And as the friend put it, one day he just decided to talk like this and just be genuine. And suddenly people went, wow, this guy's good. And you can see the career path he's been on ever since. So you're going to hear the origin story of Anthony Gailey, where in many ways it was people highlighting, hey, you're good at this. You should do this. And eventually working, I mean, you can look at some of the videos that are online and we're going to put them in the show notes over at worksmarthypnosis.com, the the page associated with this, with this podcast session, some of the videos and some of the examples where here's a man on stage doing hypnosis where, admittedly, here are people in the high school market that are fighting to get more than seven, $800 for a show, and Anthony was pulling upwards of five figures for these various events because he was branding it as something different, leveraging every bit of success he had in other aspects. So again, it comes full circle to that to that metaphor, to that experience of building assets, leveraging our success and discovering that right moment to pivot and put the information out in front of people, which as you'll hear in this conversation is the point where Anthony is at now to now be teaching this information that he's been doing now for dozens of years and growing up in the ranks of speaking in front of Fortune 500 companies, universities, nonprofits, being a highly sought-after speaker. As I, as I interacted with friends of mine who took his uh, Corporate hypnos- Hypnotist Masterclass, the one he did earlier in 2016 and is doing again uh, in July in Germany and then in August down in Florida. You're going to hear all about that. We'll link it in the show notes. The number of people who were saying, I'm just going to be there because it's him. And I definitely, this is our first real interaction, yet picking up, I use the term of a worker. And he definitely is a worker and has got the stories, has got the experiences. And take note, especially of the stage hypnotist, but also of the hypnotherapist as well, that I think one of the biggest takeaways from what you're about to listen to is Anthony understanding what the client needs. And that's not always the fastest. That's not always the funniest that you are filling a need. You are always navigating the organization, the company, even the birthday party from a place of challenge to a place of solution. So here we go. Session number 61 of the Work Smart Hypnosis podcast, Anthony Gailey on corporate hypnosis.
1: I was nine years old. There was a Black and white television program on called The Life of Riley, which this was literally before color television. And the the plot of this sitcom was that Riley was acting crazy or doing weird things, and so the mother and daughter get together and hire this hypnotist to come in and hypnotize Riley to act right. And uh, I had no idea what a hypnotist was or anything about it, but the hypnotist comes in and does the hypnosis, and I was just amazed. I was just uh, absolutely captivated and decided, uh, apparently at that point, that's what I was going to do with the rest of my life, because I just was amazed by it. So next day, I went to the library. In those days, you could ride your bike pretty much anywhere. And uh, unfortunately, the only thing I could find in the library was the Encyclopedia Britannica. There really was no, there were no books or no source information about hypnosis in this little public library. But on the back of Batman and Superman comic books, there were this Learn to hypnotize anybody in three days and all that jazz. I started sending away for these books, one of which actually turned out to be quite good. It was uh, written by a guy named Melvin Powers. And was, even in retrospect, it was fairly well written and it was not BS. And it, uh, it actually gave me at least an understanding of it. So I ran around hypnotizing kids until my parents stopped me. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're getting calls, you know, what's this all about? And I, I maintained the fascination uh, as soon as I got my driver's license. I knew there was a guy two towns over. Uh, don't even know if he's still around or not, but his name was Frank Ladato, And um, he had a hypnotherapy practice where he taught uh, hypnosis courses on the side. So I remember it was kind of like the day after I got my driver's license. I'd been saving up my money forever, and I got permission, and I went to these classes. And he was my first instructor. And then um, when I was in college, there was another gentleman Max Rapkin was his name, who was a hypnotherapist who taught these evening courses. I think it was nine or 10 sessions in the evening. And then I stumbled into one of my professors, Dr. John Santa, who was actually very intrigued by it. I was at that, by that point, I was hypnotizing kids all over the campus. I had started a little business where I was doing hypnosis at frat parties and dorm things and functions like that. And it was kind of funny because I was sitting in class one day and in college you have these big auditoriums where you have two or three hundred people. Rutgers was an enormous university. And so I was in a, some psych course and somebody on the other side of this auditorium raises their hand and says to the professor, I saw this hypnotist at this fraternity two nights ago do this thing and is that real and is that true? And the professor started answering questions and you know I stuck my hand up and I said, well, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> So right afterwards, he wanted to know all about what I was doing and what I knew and what I didn't know, and he kind of took me under his wing, and I became his research assistant while I was at Rutgers, and he directed me for my graduate program uh, down, believe it or not, to Florida Atlantic University. There was a gentleman down there uh, that was doing active work in hypnosis research, so when I got out of Rutgers, I went down to FAU, uh, spent two years in a master's program down there. At the master's level, you only have like five or six students. It's not a, a huge class. Uh, especially at a small school like FAU, theres I think there were six of us. We a lot matched up with research assistants, et cetera. And one of the gentlemen that was in this uh, class with me in the master's program was about 10 years older than I was. His name was Carl Seeger. And uh, he actually had an active hypnotherapy practice. He was a very clever guy. He had a background in advertising and he was an entrepreneur and he had his finger in like 10 different businesses, one of which – was this practice down in Fort Lauderdale on one of the main thoroughfares uh, called Oakland Park Boulevard. And when we finished up with the master's program, he was going on to the University of Tennessee to become an industrial psychologist, and I was staying in the Florida area, and he offered to sell me his practice. And I, I bought it, and he taught me how to run it, which was really my first introduction to any kind of business. I mean, up to that point, I was just a student. And he was very clever. He had a a variety of clever ways of getting people to come to him for, in those days, primarily smoking, weight control, pain control, things of that nature. One of the ways in which he generated business was by giving free speeches to pretty much any group that would have them. PTAs, Lions Club, Shriners, Women's Club. I mean, down in South Florida, they have all these condo clubs. Right, yeah. And he had a very clever way of getting the bookings. And he showed me how to do it. And so I went in and apparently had a knack for doing this public speaking. And, uh, somebody somewhere heard me and I got a call from the American Cancer Society, uh, which in those days was making a very, very active effort to try to get people to, you know, cut down and stop smoking. They, but they had budgeted a couple million dollars in Florida. It, w- it was actually a program to seriously cut down on smoking. And they asked if I would conduct some courses for them, which I did. I did that gratis, but one thing led to another, and I ended up speaking in front of like three four hundred people. It just I just had a knack for the public speaking was doing very well at the practice, but then uh, I guess in nineteen eighty, I sold the practice and moved to Hawaii. I moved to the big island of Hawaii and ended up uh on the northeast rift of the island, and I don't know. Who, was familiar with it in the Puna district, I was about 20 miles from the active caldera of, of Kilauea and it was out pretty much in the middle of nowhere. It was, it was, it was paradise. It was everything you would imagine the garden of paradise to be like, but it was very remote and there was no uh, electricity. You know, you generated your own electricity. It was no public water, no telephone. It was, it, it was not as primitive as it sounds, but it was just gorgeous. Uh, unfortunately, Uh, there was no real population center. The closest was Hilo, which at the time had a population of about 33,000, and uh, 60% of which were Japanese. And they just don't do hypnotherapy. So it's just not in their culture, you know. So I realized there simply were not enough people to maintain the private practice that I had, uh, similar to what I had done in Florida. And, you know, it's kind of crazy, but I was running out of money, and I had X number of dollars left. And one option was to buy a papaya farm, which I seriously considered. And then, um, another option was to, to do this. You know, I had no idea about public speaking. I mean, there, I didn't even know there were such things as quote unquote public speakers, but I knew that I had this talent or this skill at public speaking. And uh, I used to have to drive five or six miles to get the nearest telephone. So I drove down and I picked up the phone. I started calling, um, companies in Honolulu, primarily real estate companies and insurance groups because they had large sales forces. And I got on the phone and I would talk to them and just say, um, just moved here from Florida. Uh, I would like to speak to your people at the end of which I'm going to ask if they'd be interested in signing up for a seminar and uh, got quite a few people to agree to have me come in. And I would go in there and basically uh, sell tickets for lack of a better word. You know, I, I did like a 25, 30 minute presentation on goal setting and you know, the power of visualization. And I would tell them what I was going to teach in the program, who's going to come, and I would sign them up, you know, for the seminar. And uh, that went on. I wiped out Hawaii in like a year and a half. Uh, there's, only, I mean, there's only about a million people total. So I was at most of the big companies twice, three times. And it was you again. I mean, I just got to the point where there were just not that many uh, companies for me to target and market to. So I started spending more and more time flying over to L.A., to the California coast to give my presentations. And that at one point just got silly. So I realized if I'm going to become successful at this, I need to get back to the mainland. So I moved in 84, I guess it was 85. And I, I went back to Florida because I had this client base and all my history was in South Florida. My parents lived there and I started seriously uh, doing the motivational speaking. And the, uh, as I mentioned, primarily in those days, I would do literally all day seminars from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., and I would teach a series of techniques for improving performance and setting goals, one of which was teaching people self-hypnosis. That was part of a bigger program, got myself known in a number of industries, was making a good living at it. It took me like four or five years to figure it out. Uh, I made every mistake you could possibly make, but once I got that engine going, um, it, was, it was fine. I would analogize it to what I see now. Some of the stage hypnotists that are doing all the county fairs where they have kind of a circuit of county fairs and, but they have to travel all the time and they're not making a whole bunch of money, but they're making enough. If that makes any sense, Mm -hmm. that would be an analogy. And I had this, this business going. And in 1998, I had, uh, you know, word got around and I got an invitation from this group called MDRT million dollar round table which is based out of Chicago, but they are the premier convention for life insurance agents. You have life insurance, you have property and casualty, you have agents, you have managers. This is the big one for the life insurance agents. And the attendance is in the 5,000 range, and it's international. There's people from all over the world. It's a very big deal. I knew it was a big deal, and they gave me, I think, 50 minutes on the platform, which is a very short period of time for me. I remember doing eight-hour seminars. So uh, I had to pick a topic, and the topic that I picked was to spend that 50, 55 minutes talking about one of the techniques that I was teaching, which was getting your goals – in those days it was tapes – getting your goals on a tape. And so they assigned what they call an MDRT moderator, something to manage you for this presentation. And I got a call a few months before, and he introduced himself, and he said, you know, what's your topic going to be? And I told him, and he said, well, I heard you do this hypnosis thing. And I said, yeah, I do. But, you know, this convention is really a big deal. They're all ultra conservative. It's, you know, I, I, I don't want to, you know, jeopardize. No, He said, no, I think actually they would like it. He said, if you do it properly and if you do it, you know, with a corporate mindset, I think it'll go over very well. So I had a couple months before the convention and I knew I had 50 minutes. So every time I do an eight hour seminar, I started timing myself. Uh, I started putting things together. Trying new things, I had all these seminars where I could kind of practice to where I knew I had it down to the 55 minutes, and I knew exactly what I was going to do and what I was going to say. And uh, the, the, the day for my presentation comes, and it went off flawlessly. Uh, it was it was just one of those days where you couldn't have asked for a better everything. The audience was fabulous, the subjects were incredible, the sound system was amazing. The audience, you know, just, you know it, was, it was perfect. And I said, "Whoa, I got through that! Thank goodness, you know." And all of a sudden. Literally within a matter of minutes after I was done, these people start approaching me saying that I'm so-and-so from Nationwide Speakers Bureau or I'm so-and-so from uh, na- National Speakers Bureau. And I was like, what's a Speakers Bureau? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's how stupid I went. Yeah. And well, I love I- that because it's so often that people you know, nowadays are getting into it and going, I need to go after this group. I need to go to this convention. And there you were organically finding it.
1: Well, one of the things I, uh, when I, when I teach this course, I, I open it up, you know, I've only done one, but here's how I opened it up. It was, I I honestly believe that if I can be successful in this business, anybody can, because I couldn't have known less or done it more backwards or made more mistakes or been a worse business person. If I tried, (laughs) you know, I mean, it was, it was just moronic looking back on it, but it was just, you know, it was where I came from. I had done nothing but go to school. Anyhow, so all of a sudden, these speaker bureaus are coming at me left and right, and they all wanted me to be exclusive with them. One in particular was very persistent, and uh, they were based out of Beverly Hills. They're a very good bureau, and I didn't know from anything. I was reluctant to tie myself to any group without knowing what I was doing. So we decided to work on a handshake, and uh, that almost overnight, virtually overnight, I went from doing these eight hour seminars where I was making, I don't know, two, three, four thousand dollars per seminar. They started booking me uh at five thousand for a uh ninety minute speech. Actually, probably a little bit less than ninety minutes. And the question was, why are you just doing this program for insurance and real estate groups? Well, you know, that's my target, market, blah blah, blah. So that's great, but you know, you talk about goal setting and this thing with hypnosis is applicable to anybody. You know, I mean just it's it's Broaden your horizons. And of course, overnight, I was speaking to Walmart, Microsoft, and and this was like 1998, right in the middle of the dot-com craze, which was the golden years. You had all these dot-com companies that were spending money like drunk sailors and, uh, I mean, virtually overnight. And I'm not exaggerating. I was doing four or five presentations a week. Jumping on a plane, giving a presentation. Jumping on a plane, giving a presentation. I was selling, you know, eight times, ten times more product than I'd ever sold before. It was just ridiculous. I was doing uh, what I used to do in eight hours and make maybe two or three thousand for. Uh, I was getting five thousand right off the bat, and then another three or four or five in product sales. And I was doing it instead of doing one or two a month, I was doing four or five a week. It was it was virtually overnight. I mean, I, I remember it was just dizzying. All the doors swung open at once. All of a sudden, everybody wanted me. You know, here I'd been kind of like working in the wilderness for a number of years, so to speak. But all of a sudden, getting calls from all these bureaus, all these companies, all these opportunities. Uh, People wanted me to come in and do training courses that they were going to sell and market. It was uh, just uh, shocking how fast it happened. And I remember thinking, okay, all the doors are open. Now my challenge is, which door do I go through and in what sequence? Where do I spend my time? And I made a – I had a very good friend, a guy who uh, was very insightful, and I was discussing it with him. And he reduced it to a very simple question. He said, if you had a choice, would you rather be rich or famous? And I said, rich? He says, well, you don't want to be on – you don't (laughs) – don't spend your time building the, you know, public image, quote unquote, the TV and the appearances and the book tours and stuff like that. He goes, you want to be rich? Go out there and, you know, the doors open, take all the money. So I decided at that point to focus on doing as many talks as they would let me. And in, in a very short period of time, it was, it was frenetic. And it was, but it was just overnight, totally different. I mean, first class travel, staying at these fancy resorts, dealing with nothing but top end people in the sense that, I was being hired to speak at these top producer conferences. I'd be, you know, Cabos or down in Puerto Rico or Barbados or whatever, you know, these, these high end Vegas, Palm Springs. They don't send the losers there. You know, I wasn't there looking at the people that didn't succeed. I all of a sudden was doing nothing but speaking to these large, and that was wonderful. I mean, that was just exciting because of the energy. And they loved it. They really, they really ate it up because it, uh, was something It was, I don't think it was something necessarily that they'd never seen before, but they'd never seen it put in the way that I was doing it. You know, I had, I was uh, fortunate enough. I came out of left field. I came out of my own head, so to speak. I wasn't imitating anybody. I didn't have anybody kind of guiding me through the business. One of the negatives of doing it that way was it took me, you know, five or six years to make money. One of the positives of it is when I came out, it was, it was really just me. I mean, you, 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 they couldn't look at it and say, oh, he stole it from that guy. I didn't even know who the guys were. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I remember yeah, so yeah. somebody come up and, at one point, you know, oh, that thing you talk about, positive thinking, sounds just like Zig Ziglar. I go, who? I go, you don't know who Zig Ziglar is? And, that was, you know, and I went and got a book and I read it and was like, damn, he's going to do it too. It's like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's, I mean, that's a good <laughs> idea.
0: Someone should do this. <laughs> I mean,
1: I honestly thought I had, you know, uh, again, coming from pretty much from academia, and I just, uh, the bridge for me was I all this kind of book learning that I was getting in experimental psychology. One day I just kind of looked over at business and said, you know, that stuff applies directly to business. We were being taught how to do it for dev- designing and developing, you know, testing rats and rabbits and experimental situations. And I said, well, you know, geez, it's in one crazy way, no different than people that are having trouble getting motivated or they're forgetting to ask for referrals. or. And that was the kind of, Bridge that no one had built before. So when I came into it, I came into it with this background in psychology. So I knew what I was talking about, and I knew that the techniques, you know, were based in good, sound science. That done, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of, for lack of a better word, fluff. You know, I didn't, I didn't. It, some of the stuff you hear were energy forces, whatever. I mean, may or may not exist. The, the stuff I knew existed. You know, I was, I was pretty confident in uh, what I was teaching. And um, and it worked. I just and I did it for thirty four years and uh, loved every second of it. And it was just uh, a wonderful, wonderful career. I mean, I got I, I went all over the place. You know, I've been to Europe, Egypt, Paris, Rome, you know, London, all those places, uh, South America, all over. Just I mean, I loved to travel and I loved seeing all the places around the world and I loved the people that I met. Everybody uh, was just fabulous. And as I say, when you when you do that kind of corporate speaking, it really is kind of a different, for lack of a better word, uh, group of people you're speaking to. One of my habits uh, was to set up my table. I never had a big fancy display or anything. I'd get an eight-foot table, and I'd put my books or tapes product for sale. And often that would be outside the room, the con- wherever the, uh, the conference was being held. And when I, when I went to speak, I'd walk in and leave the table unattended, and people used to Say, do you want me to cover it? You know, aren't you afraid someone's going to steal one of your books or Mm -hmm. one of your sets of tapes? And first thing was, I can honestly say, in all the years I did it, maybe twice people stole a set of tapes or something. A set would be missing. It's very rare for that to happen just because of the kind of people that were there. But the second comment I had was, you know, anybody – Desperate enough to steal motivational tapes probably needs them. I mean, that's what I'm <laughs> interested <laughs> in. Mean, if they, if they are that bad, they should take them. You know, just, they, all they'd have to do is ask. It, um, it's just that type of person. You know, these, these were the high achievers. These were the movers and shakers. They were thirsty for knowledge. And then my goodness, when you go to Asia, when you go to Singapore and the Philippines, we, uh, we had a name for it. We called it the Bobbing Heads Conventions. Uh, you would go down some of the, some of the uh, conferences in Asia are enormous. Like the Singapore one had two or three thousand. So you're looking out onto the sea of people, and you're you're giving a presentation, and all you see are the heads bobbing up and down. And what they're doing is they're furiously taking notes. They're trying to catch every word you say. I mean, they are that thirsty for the knowledge, and they would come up to you afterwards, you know. And the paragraph where you were talking about. Was it an if or an and? Like, oh, wow. wow. I know. You know, it's just, it, we do. We call, it, you know, there was a name in the business called the Bobbing Heads Conventions because they were so good at uh, assimilating the information and were so eager to get it. So it um, was absolutely fabulous career. I loved every minute of it from being a hypnotherapist. The reach that I had, the one thing that uh, impressed me almost immediately was that I'm now speaking, you know, to on the average hundreds and sometimes tens of thousands, as opposed to one-on-one therapy. And I love I love the one-on-one therapy. That was artistry. The one-on-one hypnotherapy was art. You know, you it was a different person each time, and you had to do a different approach. And you know, find listen very carefully, find out what's going on, and hopefully find the right key for their problem. And I, I love that. But uh, I, I ultimately got more I I think uh, professional satisfaction. Uh, by being able to deliver a message to a larger group, and and it was obviously more lucrative, and the first class travel and the you know, fancy stuff and all that just was great. But I've never been as impressed by that as I was by the, the number of people I was helping. I'm sure everybody says that.
0: Yeah, to increase like- that reach, I think that's that's part of the reason why I'd reach out to you on this, just to discuss the idea of just scaling up what we what we do here that far too often we end up thinking a little too small of what we can possibly reach, or you know, even for the one that's working even a, a high school market, looking at it in terms of just their own geographic area, uh, what message would you give to somebody who is looking to scale up what their options are, scale out to bigger audiences and uh, bigger arenas, as it were, too?
1: Well, crazy enough, and coming from me it's going to sound so plasticine, but the, the, the very first... Suggestion I would give you is change the way you think. Uh, again, I had come from this background where for a number of years I was teaching these eight hour programs making 25 to 3500 hours per session, right? So I do this speech and all the bureaus approach me and this one gentleman from Beverly Hills, very insistent, and as he's talking to me, he's telling me, we're going to book you here, 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 and here. And he says, the first thing we're going to do is, we're gonna make you, you're, you're a $5,000 a speech speaker. We're gonna get you up to 10 very quickly. But you're, from this day forward, you're a $5,000 speaker. And I argued with him. I said, well, you know, I know my market pretty well. I've been doing this for a long time, and most of the groups I work 5,000 is beyond their budget. Uh, you're probably not gonna find anybody who does it. Yeah, you know, blah, 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 I went on. And he stopped me, and he goes, wait a second. Yeah. You will be a $5,000 a day speaker the minute you see yourself as a $5,000 a day speaker and I stopped there and they were where have I heard that before you know it's just like and and it's true i have conversations with some of the people that attended the last program and one of the barriers that some of, them, some of them had was not being able to see it and so if you're going to scale up to larger audiences or move into a different area or to a higher, more professional level of people, or whatever it is you're going to do to change, whatever it is. I think strangely as it sounds, the first thing you have to do is change the way you see yourself before that'll happen. And I, and I knew that that was strangely enough difficult for me. I had, um, an image of myself as this person that does these eight hour programs for $2,500 and, for me to see myself as a $5,000 speaker, the, I had to have the guy literally hand it to me on a silver platter before I got it. Now, once I did a couple of speeches, trust me, I was a $5,000 speaker. Yeah, it doesn't take long to get it, but sometimes making that transition, it, you're your own worst enemy. I would—I don't think I would have ever done that on my own.
0: Well, it's something That's that a- I keep running into as I, as I chat with other hypnotists, not just stage, but also for the hypnotherapist out there where we we get stuck into this mindset that this is just how I do it and this is how it works. And there's something to be said, this is something that I was guilty of years ago about my own pricing in terms of my client sessions where here's a moment where, yeah, but the schedule is booking full. Everything is working. And I was trying to lean on the old phrase of, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Though the truth is there's renovations that can always be had. And
1: that, is my point exactly. I mean, all I, again, I can only speak from personal experience
0: in retrospect,
1: that is what kept me at that 2500 hour level for so long.
0: How different was the program just in terms of your side of it? Once you made that transition, was the program that much different for you?
1: No, 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 no. And, and, you know, I mean, I went from eight hours to 90 minutes is what I did and threw away the other six hours. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: didn't throw it away, you know, but Let's expand on that for a second, because there's a guy in information marketing that I love. Now, he killed me on something that I heard him say. His name is Jeff Walker. Uh, His program is called Product Launch Formula. And he put out the original Product Launch Formula, and I believe it was like a 40 or 50 hour course. And... I'm watching him, and he's great about his business systems. He, he launches with raving fans, which I love that as a model, because here came version 4.0, 5.0, and because I already had the previous, here you go, enjoy it. And his opening intro was just phenomenal as he stands there and says, you might notice that the program now is only about seven or eight hours. If, you have, if you've been with me since the original, it used to be about 40 hours. I've become a lot better at teaching this material. <laughs> and I love that because here we are often, I mean, well, let's go there for a brief moment in terms of trainings, in terms of things. We we fall prey to this idea that the number of hours equals quality, uh, that we fall prey to this idea that more is more. And sometimes it's that refining it down. I would almost bet that you were probably delivering that message better in a 90-minute program rather than the eight hours.
1: In my particular situation, uh, the the eight-hour program covered a lot of different areas. Yes. In other words, I did three different techniques for goal setting, and one section was on uh, closing strategies, which I learned how to do. Another was on body language and how to communicate effectively with the client. And it was, it was distilled down to this 90 minutes where I talked about how to internalize goals, and then roll it into a hypnosis demonstration. So the other material didn't even get covered. Now, I sold it on my tape sets, or my and obviously, eventually CDs and you know online, but I sold it uh, as the product, but I wasn't teaching it from the stage. So it wasn't that I took eight hours and distilled all the information down to 90 minutes. It was that I took eight hours, which had maybe eight or nine key points, and on stage, I really was only focusing on one or two uh, because I only had 90 minutes. So, and you know, it was, it was, um, obviously instead of doing eight at the end of an eight hour seminar, I used to be absolutely exhausted. You know, I would sometimes have trouble getting up out of the chair after eight hours. It would be a total, you know, physical experience. I mean, I would be completely exhausted had given all my energy to the group. And then I could do three 90, I could do 90 minutes in my sleep. I mean, I had, after years of doing an eight hour programs, 90 minutes was nothing. In my particular case, it was just a lot of material that I used to cover I didn't anymore because the only thing they wanted, what sold, what what made me unique, what was the hook, What in the business we call it the hook, what what got me booked was this beautiful blend that I had come up with of serious content uh, and then rolled into a hypnosis demonstration and everything I did in the demonstration referred back to the original message. So the, I know I've said this in, in many instances, but one of the most common things I'd hear from the meeting planners afterwards was, here's what I like about you. Your first 45 minutes, if you just did that, would be a great speech. You gave them serious content, stuff they could walk out with and immediately start using to become more productive. That alone was great. But then you rolled into that hypnosis demonstration. I haven't seen them laugh that hard in years. That was so darn entertaining. So I feel like they got a serious message and entertainment. Uh, last year we had an industry speaker who was great, but half the people went to sleep. It was just pure information. A lot of people just weren't excited by it. The year before that, we hired a really good entertainer, you know, whoever it was. They laughed like crazy, but they didn't learn anything. What I liked about yours was that, that blend. You've got this 50-50 blend down. And that was the key for me, that 50-50 blend where Pretty much no matter who was sitting in the audience, they were getting something out of it. If they were not into the hypnosis at all, they still got a good quality, interesting, serious, transferable message in the first half. If they, you know, were not that much into message, but, you know, were very much into learning or seeing the hypnosis, they got that aspect of it. So it, it broadened my reach considerably. It was, it was pretty much a numbers game.
0: Yeah. So what would your thoughts be? I see a mixture at times where perhaps, and let's widen this to any variety art perhaps, where there's sometimes, whether it's the magician or even another category, the entertaining presentation followed by training. Or in your case, it sounds the format was the training followed by the entertainment, therefore to reinforce and strengthen that message. Uh, what what are your, some of your thoughts on that style of sequencing of Delivering the content in that order.
1: I don't think the order is that important as mm-hmm. much as as much as the quality yes. of the content. Uh, a very good friend of mine, James Mapes, uh, does it in in the opposite order. James does an outstanding hypnosis demonstration and then takes that and spends the rest of his presentation explaining the hypnosis demonstration in serious content. So he does his order in the reverse order than what I do, and outstanding. Uh, when I was on the circuit, there were three of us that got to the level that we were at, you know, this kind of the go-to people that had a serious message slash hypnosis. Uh, myself, James Mapes, and a guy named Gil Eagles. Yep. And um, Gil retired a number of years ago. James is still very much in the mix. James, as a matter of fact, has got some great programs coming up here. You should go to his website and check them out. But uh, none of us, I think James knew Gil, but I didn't know the, either two, the other two of them. We never met. Uh, we would go to a convention, someone would say, oh, two years ago, I had James come or Gil, and James would go, oh, last year, the year before, we had Anthony. So we all knew who we were, but we actually never, for some reason, never met. And, um, when we did, when James and I met just within the last, I guess, year and a half, two years, we were kind of astounding. You know, it was kind of fun because we both came up in unusual ways and we had such similar stories and it was, uh, the similarities were striking as to what elements were present in our presentations that resulted in our success. And so I don't think the order matters at all as much as the content. I think if you have a, if if it's geared toward a corporate market, and the key to corporate market, since I'm on the topic, is if, if you come out of stage hypnosis or you come out of hypnotherapy, there's a transition in thinking that needs to be made. And the transition is away from yourself and onto the client. I know it sounds crazy, but you look at an entertainer, a stage hypnotist, gives people suggestions to do whatever, and then will step forward and take a bow. Wasn't I great? That's reverse thinking at a corporate level. At the corporate level, if the subject does something incredible, I take the spotlight off me and say, isn't what they did incredible? What they just did is an absolutely amazing feat of concentration. And look how you can use that in your business If you can harness that ability or master that technique, wouldn't that help you here, here, and here? So it's one of the shifts is getting it off yourself and putting it on them, and the second shift in thinking is it's a business. When uh, crazy as it sounds, when you talk about corporate speaking, it's business. So if you ever decide to go into corporate speaking, I will guarantee within three meeting planners, within three people who are interviewing you for possibly hiring you as a speech, you will get a question probably verbatim like this. What are my people going to have after your speech that they don't have now? What value are you going to add to this convention? Tell me what they're going to learn or what skills they're going to have. They're going to help them become better employees, salespeople, managers, whatever the group is. Tell me what you're going to add to their skill set. By hearing you speak or watching your presentation. And if you can't answer that question, you're probably not going to get hired unless they hire you as an entertainer. If they're, if they're looking for an entertainer in hypnosis, you're not going to get asked that question. And you know, We want you to speak after dinner and we heard you do this fancy funny thing or your comedy or whatever it is. That's what they want. But if you're going to get hired as a keynote speaker at a convention, it's what value are you bringing to this group? When I'm working with the people that I work with in the in the corporate master class, uh, it's it's a it's something a lot of people don't think like that. It's it's not it's not difficult. It's not rocket science. It's just not the way they thought being a stage hypnotist or a hypnotherapist.
0: Well, there's so much out there that's geared towards the world's funniest or all these different. Uh different titles that admittedly let's go there people would make up in terms of p- positioning themselves in that interesting way and so much of it is that self-serving ego-serving mindset when again this is a experience that in much like the hypnotherapists of start with the end in mind what is going to be their takeaway what's going to be the thing that they're going to receive so i'm curious to ask you this sure. is there is there a is an experience that stands out a story of a company that has worked with you and utilized your message and then had specific feedback as to what value it it provided for them
1: Oh absolutely there are a number of them um probably the one that comes to mind New York Life insurance company life insurance company they are uh they have hired me for years and years in a variety of capacities and uh what they are using me for now in some of the agencies is uh actual corporate coaching and training of their management staff Uh, I live in a little town called Melbourne, Florida. I'm about 50 miles from Orlando. And the Orlando, uh, what they call managing partner, is a gentleman named Kyle Williamson. And uh, he and I connected, I guess, close to a year ago. He is building a monster agency over there. He is a a real mover and shaker. He had been a corporate vice president for a number of years. He had been the regional VP and decided to step down from that role and run his own agency. And he is very goal-oriented, very centered, the guy is like a computer. I mean he has got it down to a numerical formula, which is – he's got a room. He calls it the war room where they've got all these charts about here's who did what, production numbers, what numbers they have to hit. It's really beautiful. And uh, he had heard me speak on a number of occasions and uh, calls me over to his office, and he showed me what he was doing and how he was doing it took me into his war room, showed me how many, he's got like a hundred agents now. I think he's number four in the company. His goal is to be number one. He's got the highest producing sales manager, the highest producing this stuff. It's just amazing. And I looked at him. as I looked around the numbers. I told him, I said, you got the numbers down pat better than I ever could. I don't think there's anything I can do for you in terms of logistics or metrics. I said, but you know when it comes to attitude um real good at that you know in terms of getting your people to shift their way of thinking and so he brings me in pretty much on a biweekly basis and i work with uh, what are called his partners he's the managing partner and what used to be called sales managers are now called partners and working with each one of them and then each one of those individuals has underneath of them anywhere from 15 to 30 agents and the individual partners now having me have me work with the agents. In fact, he just sent me an email yesterday. He was at the general manager's meeting where all the managers of the company come together once a year. And he pointed out that they have a new president of the company, uh, Mr. Magit, who I, I happen to know. And he said, Mark uh, is shifting the focus of all the speakers. He's bringing nothing in but TEDx speakers. He really wants to elevate the thinking at that level. And he wants to know if I will come in kind of like as a TEDx talk for them next year. So they use me at, they've used me at their annual meeting, they've used me at what's called Nautilus, they've used me twice at what's called Gathering of Eagles. These are, they've used me at the corporate level. They, as a matter of fact, they had me speak at the corporate office for all their staff. So they've had me at the corporate office, they've had me at the annual meetings, they've had me at the regional meetings, they had me at the individual offices, and now they've got me training, you know, all the way down to the le- level of agent. So that is one example. There are a number of companies that I've done extensive work with over the years, but the the one that that pops into my mind is New York Life, just because it's so recent.
0: Yeah, and I know this might be a two parter to to throw at you in terms of just some discussion here. Uh, and I know that trends are currently well constantly changing, though the question would be that of. What would you say is perhaps one of the greatest needs of the corporate market these days? And second part, how would it be that a hypnotist may be the best served to help address that?
1: The biggest need, in my opinion, this is, in, you know, you'll get a variety of opinions. We are in a seismic shift culturally, as a species. We are going through one of the great changes in history. Uh, you know, uh, we're going from the analog system to the metric system full force and everything is changing. And the rate at which things are changing is just exponentially faster. I mean, you look at how long it used to take to go from one thing to the next and people are squawking if they don't have a new feature every year. We there's just this this element of change. People's attention spans are shrinking. The the real game changer, of course, was the smartphone. That That was a seismic shift. And how people get and disseminate information. You're carrying the internet around in your pocket. And IT automation, where uh IT, you know, we're very, very, very close to pure artificial intelligence, where they are able to automate almost anything you can think of. I don't know if you've seen the latest pictures of the robots that look like people and they push them down, and they pick themselves up and yes. this is all happening at a breathtaking pace. And entire industries are being wiped out. You know, it used to be you went to work for a company for 20 years, 25 years you got a gold watch and a pension and health coverage and you retired and spent the last 10 15 years of your life in bliss, you know? And now the average person is shifting jobs anywhere from 7 to 13 times. And they're not only shifting jobs, they're shifting industries. The job they went to work with doesn't exist anymore. The whole, you know, I mean the whole industry doesn't exist. So this is this is endemic to us as a species. People are having trouble fathoming the change. It it's just Mind-blowing, which is why you see ADD, you know, skyrocketing in terms of numbers, sleep problems, stress, stomach disorder, all kinds. It's 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 pretty stressful. So the biggest benefit, I think, or the biggest need is helping people to navigate this change. And coincidentally enough, you know, hypnosis and those types of therapies are ideal techniques for slowing everything down, Having people concentrate, focus, having them, you know, change the image they have of themselves, looking at this change as something is beneficial, not scary. People have trouble putting it in historical context because there's never any been anything like this historically. You know, it used to take decades for things to change. And now things are changing, you know, in a matter of months sometimes. So they're having trouble putting it in terms of context. But once you understand the context, if you if you're a student of history and you start seeing you know simple things like Know, what the internal combustion engine did at the turn of the century. You know, simple invention done, you know, but it, it altered everything. All of a sudden there are automobiles shortly thereafter there's airplanes. You know, this whole thing that we know as the modern world and some of the conveniences, much of it originated from the perfecting of the internal combustion engine. And it just brought a sea change about, but it did take 10, 20, 30, 40 years for some of those changes to take place. That same type of change. That same degree of change sometimes is now happening in months. Drones is an example, all of a sudden drones, drones. are everywhere. You know, I'm getting to where I 'm looking at my window now, to see if there's a drone sitting
0: out.
1: There. <laughs> well, you know, and, and I noticed, I guess about a year ago, is when I noticed it, but go to a stop sign, go to a stoplight and look up. there's cameras everywhere, everywhere. i don't even remember ever seeing the meme put up. But now you can stop at any stoplight and you look up and there's cameras on all four corners. I mean, you can't go anywhere without being videoed. And that's a fundamental change in the way we view ourselves and the way we see ourselves.
0: The downfall of that one is I was uh, somewhere driving from the Strip to the uh, Vegas airport middle of the night for a flight. And uh, I, I pull over and I realize that I may have run the red light. and There's a flash and I'm calling the city and saying, Hey, I'm in a rental car. Could I just get ahead of this? Could I send? Uh, could you mail me the ticket here? Only to find out that uh, Nevada does not have uh, red light cameras. <laughs> they, they were happy to they were happy to share a mailing address if I really did want to pay the offense. Uh, no, you're right. It's that thing of we're we're this culture that everything shifts so quickly that products are being released and we. I can't think of a time where products are being released and we already know we want it and we don't know what it is yet. And, and that's this sadly. culture that everything's are shifting so quickly that I can, of all things, my my through line I'm going to of all connections is a corporate event that I worked uh, last year, which oddly enough, insurance group. That was this mindset of everything has already changed. Now, oddly enough, we had worked together to craft a program. Though apparently the morale was low enough that as I show up, the CEO, the booking agent, uh, both meet me and say, just entertain them. Yeah. They've heard enough message. <laughs> just <laughs> entertain them. <laughs> just do funny. No message. Not even an inspirational close. Just make them laugh. And I'm there going, okay.
1: <laughs> well, you've hit the nail. That, more than anything, I think people need to be reassured. Yes. Uh, and it's it's just being compounded. You know, we're in the middle of a presidential election season, and the way politicians are trying to get attention is to tell you just how terrible things are. You know, it's, it, it, this is wrong. America doesn't win anymore. We're getting our butts kicked by the Chinese. This is terrible. That's terrible. That's terrible. Well, it's not really, you know. Life expectancy is greater than it's ever been. We're at the longest period of sustained peace in the history of mankind, more food than there's ever been anywhere. It, You know, I mean, there's, there's a, a crime rates are lower than they've been since the 90s. They're starting to come up a bit, but they're still historically very low. No matter, you know, medical breakthroughs coming one a day, you know, the, almost every area, serious area of medicine is seeing some enormous positive uh, breakthroughs, some that are just astounding. So, I mean, there's so much positive to focus on. And there are, of course, there's problems. And, of course, you know, we got 7 billion people on the planet. There's going to be difficulties and problems, but not to the degree where people try to scare you. I think the way people get attention and get votes is to scare you, which works, unfortunately. But it does tend to put people in a state of anxiety when instead they could be, you know, paying attention and focusing on there's just so much more that's positive. Things have never been better than now. There's no, I can't think, I'm I'm a student of history. I cannot think of a better time in history to be alive than right now. I was absolutely blessed. You know, born in 1952, right conveniently after World War II, when the U.S. began its largest economic expansion in the history of man, you know, all the way up, by the time I kick off, things will start getting crazy. I mean, I'm going to miss it all. What a perfect time to be alive. (laughs) <laughs> it's just
0: like, you know, it's, and these themes uh, carry over for the hypnotherapist, for the corporate group, uh, but let's carry over and transition for a second. Tell me about the, I know you did this event uh, earlier this year once, uh, the Corporate Hypnotist Masterclass.
1: Yes. We um, we did one in January, uh, first week in January, uh, ridiculously successful. I was so happy about that. I had to retire from the public speaking, I don't know if you or your audience knows this, but I three years ago. Uh, developed a neurological condition. I was diagnosed with what's called a brain cyst, a a bubble of fluid, and I was getting dizzy spells, and there were periods where you know my vision was being affected, and I was having difficulty getting through some of the presentations, and I felt it just was not fair to the audiences for me to not be 100%. So I stepped off the stage and was almost immediately hired by a, a really great firm out of the New York area called Pathways Consulting. They're an IT consulting firm, and I uh, work as director of training for them. Very nice, very fulfilling, very rewarding, but I, I miss, you know, my, my life revolves around hypnosis and the uh, the public speaking. I missed all of that and was thinking, thinking. One day I realized that there really were only three of us that had ever done it, myself, Gil, and uh, James. And that I, uh, James and I were having a conversation on the phone one day, this, this is how it came about, and I honestly don't remember which of us said it, but I do remember one of us saying, where the heck did all these stage hypnotists come from? I mean, <laughs> you know, they're they're everywhere. Yeah, you know? I, I live in a tiny little town here. There's three of them in my town. There used to be three in Florida. You know, there's three of them in this little town. And uh, you know, I, I I'm not in that culture. I, I I really was not connected to any of the associations or any of the the hypnosis groups per se. But then realized that there are you know some people that are teaching on a regular basis, and there's quite a few stage hypnotists. And not many, if any, corporate hypnotists. There, that's still, you know, there, there were just three of us. And I know one, I know Wayne Lee is moving into it quite nicely. And I know gentleman, Rafael Beltresca, down in Brazil, is doing very well down in Brazil. Uh, but here in the U.S., there just aren't that many, if any, that are are filling that void. And it was like...
0: And I think the fair phrase is that there's many who will do several corporate shows a year as opposed to full-blown, they are a corporate presenter.
1: Well, corporations will hire stage hypnotists now and then, depending on the group, for entertainment. But that's not what I'm talking about. I I was not billed as an entertainer. I wasn't even billed as a hypnotist. That's one of the the keys to doing it. If a meeting planner called and I said, I'm a hypnotist who does this goal-setting presentation, I would probably only get booked one out of five times. That is not the way I was built. I was an expert in goal setting who taught three hands-on techniques for setting and achieving goals, one of which happened to be self-hypnosis. And to illustrate it, I do this presentation on hypnosis. That was palatable to corporations. Then they would look at the video. Then they would see, oh, I see what he's doing. If I said I'm a hypnotist, I was branded if you say you're a hypnotist, you're branded. And a lot of people, unfortunately, have a less than positive view of that brand. Oh, I know what you are. I saw a comedy hypnotist at a nightclub where a, drunk, a bunch of people were doing this or that. I know, I know exactly what you are. Well, no, you don't. So I, I, I found early on, don't call yourself a hypnotist. I mean, don't run away from it. If you go to my website, it says hypnotist. I mean, but I wasn't a hypnotist. I was a corporate speaker. I was a corporate keynote speaker who had a presentation on goal setting, part of which was this fascinating demonstration of hypnosis. If I had called myself a Democrat, I'd be alienating a percent. Yeah. If I called myself a Republican, I would be alienating a percent. If I say I'm Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, Muslim, <laughs> <laughs> whatever, when you, when you tag something, you're appealing to one segment, but alienating another. And one of the, keys, I think, to being successful at the corporate range is do the best you can to go after 100%. So when I say I teach a presentation or do a presentation on goal setting, or I teach people simple hands-on techniques for goal setting, we're going to be hard-pressed to find a company that says, oh, I don't have any need for that. But if I say I'm a hypnotist who does this presentation on goal setting, we don't want a hypnotist. No, right, I don't want a hypnotist. I probably cut out more than half my group just by calling myself a hypnotist. I, I, I know it's crazy, but again, that's one of those shifts in thinking thinking that you need
0: to go through. Well, it goes back to the the comment earlier about starting with the end in mind. What are the, going to be the takeaways? And also about letting the spotlight be on them, letting the spotlight be on what their needs are, rather than here I am and this is my skill. It's the let's have this experience together and this is what I can highlight within your group.
1: Right. This is what I can do for your people. And it's all about you and your people. And again, this this was more personal style than anything else. I'll, I'll tell you a personal experience. There was a company out in Omaha that was a, a fairly large convention. They had five or six hundred people, and it was called Peak Performance. These uh, guys appealed. Um, they had, I believe, they were financial planners and accountants, and they had them, it was a an association, a group, and they would train them online on how to build their businesses, et cetera, and they had, you know, quite a big following, so they had their big convention, they're based out of Omaha, and I was to be the keynote speaker. So I show up, things supposed to start at 8.30 or 9 o'clock, and I'm there at 7 o'clock as I usually am, and all I ever, you know, needed was my eight or nine chairs up front, small table on the side for microphone or the props or whatever and i get up there and the uh there's four chairs on one side podium in the middle four chairs on the other side and that's why i get there at seven o'clock to make sure you know it's done right and so that they is the the stage okay and i said well uh, in fact if i could have the the eight chairs in a row because i would have to walk in between that you know podium to get and so okay and they came back a few minutes later the woman says Unfortunately, they can't do that. Uh, the, the podium's been here. There's like 10 wires. They've got video wires and audio wires and all this jazz. They are unable to move the podium. And the way the guy's got the camera frame, they can't put you off on stage left or stage right because you'd be out of the frame of the camera. And so, you know, we we really can't move the chairs. What can we do? And I was just like, OK, I'll just have to work around it is what I said. Yeah. And a few minutes later, there was another problem, some other problem. I remember, you know, I, my, my request was for a handheld lavalier in case anybody, subjects had something to say, and a wireless lapel. And they came up, we don't have any wireless lapels. What we got are the headsets, you know, with the microphone coming around, which was not my, I mean, I've used them once or twice, but I just never really felt comfortable with them. And she said, we don't have any of the lapels, we just have the headsets. I just said, well, you know, do you have a preference? Yeah, my preference is the lapel, let me go check. She comes back a few minutes later and says, I'm really sorry, they just don't have any. Okay, well, I'll wear a headset, was my response. And there was one other hitch where I just like, okay, just have to deal with it. And I, I, I did my presentation and I had to, I remember I had to race for the airport because I had a presentation later, later that night in Vegas. So I'm in the airport getting ready to board the plane. The phone rings, and it's the speaker bureau that had booked me, and she said, uh, "I hear you did a really good job." I said, "Oh, thank you very much." She says, "And they want to book you again for three more speeches, one in San Francisco, one in Washington, one somewhere else." Oh, fantastic! And all, and she said, "Let me ask you a question." She goes, "Did they were they having problems or something with their stage setup?" I said, "No, nothing major." You know, I had to. she said, "Well, you didn't realize it, but the guy." You know, the thing was set up for like six, eight hundred people. There was a guy sitting in one of the chairs. That's the owner of the company, and he heard the way you handled the problems. You know, and they booked you for three things instantly because he's had a, he's had his fill of prima doma speakers. He came <laughs> in and yeah, you know, that they're the center of attention and it's got to be just so so and they have to have a green room and they got to have this kind of soda and all you guys. You know, he was really taken and impressed with the way that your focus was on the group and not on your particular, you know, way of looking at things. And it's a, it's a personal preference. I mean, there's certainly a place for making sure that it's set up exactly right for you if you need to have it set up right. But I always kept it simple. I mean, I see some people traveling with these shows. I mean, this, you know, audio visual extravaganza where if it's just not perfect, uh, I, I look at every level, of complexity as something that could go wrong
0: right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and you love the commentary i see a lot of hypnotists even working in one-to-one sessions with all these technology things and my line is always yeah what do you do when the power goes out right yeah, yeah. let's give someone ask me guerrilla you know, performance it'll work anywhere
1: how do you handle PowerPoint? I don't know. I'd never used PowerPoint. First time in my life I ever used PowerPoint was at my master class program in January. That was the first time I ever used PowerPoint. You know, uh, do you have any music? No, don't use music. You have lights, fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> nope, just little old me. Yeah. And, and there's, uh, uh, first of all, I mean, I, I don't mean to sound like I'm, but some of the presentations are outstanding. Some of the audiovisual visual adds tremendously to it. I'm, um, but I wasn't there to do a show. I was a, I was a corporate keynote speaker. You know,
0: I was... And I bet there's something disarming too about it being presented as a keynote, but then also the fact that here you are with this interactive component.
1: Right. Yeah. The, the, the thing that blew people's minds was the uh, hypnosis. And what blew their minds more than any aspect of that was that they... If they knew the people that were being hypnotized. Um, a client that ended up being a huge client of mine, was Subway, and they hired me for something. I think it was in Washington, D.C. or whatever, and Subway has an enormous co-op that buys the food by the millions of pounds, you know, to get a discount in the price, and the woman who's the CEO of the co-op is based out of Miami. It's called IPC, and she's just a really, really cool person, um, CEO of the company, very dynamic, and I did this one presentation for Subway, and then I got a call Uh, From her group, they wanted me to do something for IPC, and then another thing, another thing. Long story short, I've, I've done quite a few dozen presentations for Subway because of her. And she came up to me at one of my talks, and she said, you know, when you were doing that thing in Washington, I saw that they had this guy, and he does hypnosis, and I'm thinking, what a bunch of nonsense. She said, no, I don't want any part of that. And she says, somehow, you were starting your presentation, and I was having a conversation with somebody, and I ended up, you know, going in, I was in the back of the room, I'm getting ready to walk out, but you started talking. And she goes, I, I was really captivated by some of the stuff you were saying. And when it got to the point where you were getting ready to do the hypnosis, I was telling yourself, I'm ready to leave, you know. But then you brought these people up, and she goes, I don't know if you knew who you were bringing up, but like three of the eight people you brought up are people that I know really well. And I saw, and I, I could not believe what I was saying. She said, God's honest truth, I was standing on the chair by the end of the presentation. You you had me that captivated. And um that's that's the kind of reaction, I don't think it's the lights that does that, I don't think music does that, I don't think the has does that. You either have a solid message and are good at what you do, or you don't. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs>
0: so how can people learn how to deliver that message?
1: Number one, I think it has to come from the heart. When uh, Again, because of the master class, I've had to really analyze this in detail, uh, I believe that whatever message you impart, you have to believe it. I think people know if you're just mouthing something or if you're just trying to spit out facts and figures, whatever it is, I think it has to come from the heart and come from your experience. Uh, for example, I have uh, one of the people I, I, I've been working with closely is an actor and he's a great actor and he wants to go into corporate speaking. And I've talked to him on a couple of occasions. Well, on one occasion, he said, I just read this book by this neurologist where it's a lot of great information. And so I'm going to kind of build a presentation around these, you know, these ideas in neurology and stuff. And, and, I, and another time he was going to do this. And I kind of do, and, and I finally said to him, here's what I don't understand. I said, you're an actor, right? Yeah. If I were you, it would be, uh, here's who I am. I'm an actor. I've had years of training in acting. And I know that as an actor, the choice of words you use, your body language, the expressions, I can create a certain emotion by the way I stand, the look in my eyes, the speed with which I speak, and in a way, we're all actors, we're all actors. And as a salesperson, as a manager, as an employee, as a service provider, you are an actor. And I found from acting that The truly great actors, the ones that are can convey that message so convincingly, do it because they're able to see it in the back of their mind. They have a clear subconscious image of what they're trying to project. And that's a subconscious process. And that's something that can be learned. And that's why these chairs are up here. I'm going to show you a demonstration of what happens when you tap into that ability to visualize things. And just as an actor can change their reality and your reality you can do it too with self-hypnosis. And I told him, if you came from a presentation than that, you're speaking from the heart, you really believe in what you're doing because you are an actor. I said, if you start spouting off this neurology stuff, somebody somewhere, who's a neurologist, is going to ask you a question that you can't answer. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, so step number one, it doesn't have to be something complicated, it can be something simple. But whatever it is, it, you have to believe it. It has to come from you. It has to come from within. It has to, and then you're not play acting. I, I see people sometimes up on stage, You know, I'm, in my opinion, it's just an opinion, but the, it's like, that, that person doesn't really believe that. You know, they're they're acting. Or I, I know the book they got that from. Or I remember the paragraph that came from. That's not them, if that makes any sense. You know? and, and one thing, people who knew me would say, if, if, they, if they first met me on stage, you know, see me on stage, and then for whatever reason they got to know me afterwards, some of them were like shocked. I mean, you're, you're really no different than what you are on stage. Right, it's the key. And then some people on stage come off with this one aura, and then they get off stage, they start acting like jerks. I mean, it's just like, I don't know, I don't know how they can do that. You know, the prima donnas that get up and just give these amazing presentations, wow, that is so inspiring, you know. And then you get off and you ask them a question, go away, you bother me. So yeah. whoa. <laughs> <laughs> how do you do that? So I mean, you know, it, it can be done. You, you can, you know, assume the mantle of sincerity, but I I would find that mentally and physically exhausting. I don't know how you
0: do it. And there's a greater comfort about the per, the performance. I've got a friend who's a magician that I love uh, a line that. Someone was asking him about how do you get into character? how do you uh, how do you define your role as a performer? And I love this moment that he just looked at him and and gave a very simple response, and he just goes, "Well, it's me, and I just talk a little bit louder so the audience can hear me better
1: that's it. that's it that's it. that's it. that's it. That's it. you know if uh, if you so again, you talk about the fundamentals of it, I think the fundamentals are be yourself. Don't try to be something you're not." Don't try to uh act some way that you aren't. I, I I honestly believe that people pick up on sincerity. And and it does not need to be a complicated message. Uh you know people that have uh, we are all unique. We all have a fascinating series. I think everybody's fascinating. I don't think I've ever met somebody that hasn't had a fascinating life. You know, I just think it's a miracle to be alive.
0: Outstanding. Hey, before we wrap up here, uh, you've got dates for this class coming up both in Germany as well as Florida, right? Yes. Yes, tell Uh, us about that.
1: (laughs) Germany, for the first time, in uh, Frankfurt, Germany, on the 16th and 17th of July. That's a Saturday and a Sunday. And then on the 6th and 7th of August in Orlando at the Renaissance. Uh, And if you are interested in doing this, we we have a a website. It's um, Corporate Hypnotist Masterclass. One word, Corporate hypnotistmasterclass.com. we'll take you to the website and we have an 800 number it's 800-462-5748 and if you want to see more of what I do um, the spelling on my last name is a little weird uh, my name's Anthony Gailey but it's spelled G-A-L-I-E for some reason those five letters confuse 80% of the people but it's G-A-L-I-E and if you go to YouTube and just plug my name into YouTube there's well over 100 clips of all kinds of different presentations I gave. So you can certainly get an idea of what I mean when I talk about uh, being a corporate speaker.
0: Outstanding, and I'll put uh, links to the training as well as a couple of videos over in the show notes at worksmarthypnosis.com as well. Anthony, it's been awesome meeting you here.
1: It's been a genuine pleasure. I've heard so much about you, and it's been fun to finally talk to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the WorkSmart Hypnosis Podcast at
0: worksmarthypnosis.com. Hey, it's Jason Lynette here. And once again, thank you to Anthony for joining me on this program. Stay tuned as we've got some other outstanding interactions coming up in terms of podcast sessions. I've got a whole segment coming up, a lecture from my training all about how do you rate whether or not someone can be hypnotized, which may begin to change some opinions that you've maybe heard before and in many ways may challenge things that. You might have printed in books that you used to believe so strongly in. It's of my opinion that we need to change the way that we talk about hypnosis. And by doing so, we actually can begin to advance this conversation and work with our clients and our volunteers, even in a stage hypnosis program or even a corporate audience, as you've just been listening to about, in much better ways. On that theme, it's that whole concept of changing the language, changing the dialogue, I would simply point out that I think we are, as much as we're a community that talks about change, it's the discovery over the years that we're still a community that far too often likes to play the game of, that doesn't work. That technique doesn't work for that category. This style of induction doesn't work for this person of that profession. To which, again, my favorite infomercial phrase, there's got to be a better way. So perhaps it's as I've been vocal of these things over the years, I've had people reaching out to me, people who are already working in hypnosis, wanting to learn some of the ways that I approach the change process, whether it's the individual techniques. Outside of the business categories, you've likely heard me talk business strategy, though it's at this point I'm proud to share with you hypnotic workers. Hypnotic workers is an interesting way to address how we learn how we do hypnosis. It's not necessarily a training course. Though inside of Hypnosis work, Hypnotic Workers, you're going to get full access to my hypnotic training course. It's not just a community, though that again, you're going to get access to a community. It's all about changing the dialogue, changing the way that we address this process, and at the same time, to use the adage of NLP, by accident, by replicating success, it's going to leave behind a trail of replicatable strategies and techniques So we're talking everything from induction philosophy, induction techniques, twist on classical favorites, strategies you can use within your sessions, as well as individual techniques and nuances. And the one thing that I'm really excited to share with you, everybody likes to talk about how bad hypnosis scripts are, which to be fair, in the words of Roy Hunter, hypnotic scripts are training wheels. So there's a point in time where the training wheels need to fall off, but there may be a point in time where the training wheels are necessary. Yet what we really need as a hypnotic community are real client sessions to study. And this is an aspect that's coming to you inside of hypnotic workers, real case studies that I've had my real paying clients sign off on to give me permission to share this content with you. So you're going to get the actual session video, as well as like the DVDs do nowadays, the commentary track as well, plus a transcription. So you're getting the not just the what to do, but the why I chose to do what I did. Now, right now, Hypnotic Workers is something that is only available by invitation only. However, head over to worksmarthypnosis.com. At the top right corner of the page, click training and click the little gear logo for hypnotic workers. And you're going to be able to get on the waiting list to be one of the first to find out once we open up spaces and welcome you into this program. Hypnotic workers. It's all about changing the hypnotic dialogue, getting greater results with our clients, and taking this profession to the next level. Jason Lynette here. See you next time.